Well, in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, the 30th day in March. Great, as always, to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a compressed virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So what's in it for you? Our promise, if all goes well, your curiosity is sparked, new ideas come to light, and you may have helped yourself or someone else solve a problem, make a connection, reach that opportunity faster. Networking has never been more important for your business. Folks, help me welcome FTE guest expert Ray Torgerson with Porter Hedges. He's leading us off in the first episode of a mini-series focused on key legal trends influencing business leaders today. Episode one, intellectual property. Now, as a reminder to everybody, FTE has added bonus time to this show. You get 15 more minutes with the expert in a smaller breakout room directly following the regular show. Everybody gets invited. You choose if you want to join. So Ray's litigation partner at Porter Hedges for over 13 years. His practice focuses on the full range of intellectual property disputes and commercial claims. He also serves on board of directors for Norwegian American Chamber of Commerce and former chairman of the state uh, Texas Bar, sorry, let me try it again, the State Bar of Texas Native American Law Section. He's an all-around pro, so be sure and connect with him uh, on LinkedIn and here in the show. Ray, really enjoyed working with you and Ashraf as uh, we were thinking through and developing the mini-series on the hot issues business leaders are facing today as we're all emerging from the pandemic. So we landed on these first three and maybe we'll develop more. They were uh, employee return to workplace, bankruptcy and restructuring, and today's topic, leveraging and protecting intellectual property. So why can't uh, you take a minute now and just set the scene on what you plan to explore with us in the short time we have today? Absolutely. Thank you, John. And thanks everybody to be here uh, for being here today. I want to express my appreciation to everybody uh, for uh, moving the time back. We were originally set for noon. Uh, as I mentioned to John, and I believe John had mentioned on LinkedIn, uh, I was called into court. Um, I was in court and then I'm out of court and I go back to court at three. So uh, I'll need to have a, a quick jump back to another Zoom channel at three uh, to deal with uh, these ongoing issues. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're all here. And I look forward to hearing your input. As John mentioned, we're here to talk about legal trends and intellectual property litigation. I also want to say hi and introduce everybody to Ashraf Lakani from our marketing group at the firm. And uh, Lauren Alanise is with us as well. And Laura is going to be speaking uh, with FTE in a forum just like this uh, here in the coming weeks on these labor and employment issues dealing with coming back to work. Everybody's facing these issues as we emerge from COVID. Not out yet, but we're almost there. Uh, in addition to that, I would encourage you all to check out our firm IP blog. Uh, uh, John had been so kind and FTE to uh, send out um, uh, a link to a recent entry by one of my partners, Miranda Jones. There are other articles by other partners and colleagues uh, at that blog site, uh, picking up, you know, noteworthy and newsworthy things uh, as they arise in the industry. So uh, let's talk about this and I want to really tie it into what's going on in business. I don't want to spend uh, my time here today talking about uh, from an IP litigator's perspective only uh, what's going on. I want to be touching on the things that impact you as business owners and, and managers and things of that nature. 
so what's going on in intellectual property litigation in Texas and in Houston? And the short answer is a lot. Uh, of course, for those that don't know, intellectual property constitutes four things, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. And Texas is at the forefront, really. It's a hot venue for both patent and trade secret litigation. Uh, Laura sees a lot of it in the employment space. We see a lot of it uh, also in the employment space and in other types of uh, light or soft IP type issues. Just to give you some framework uh, for how hot uh, IP litigation is in Texas and in Houston, uh, there were about 4,000 patent cases filed nationwide last year for 2020. About a third of those were in Texas. So one third of 4,000 cases were filed in Texas. Most of those were actually filed in the Western District of Texas. We're sitting in the Southern District, Houston, all the way down to Corpus Christi, over to Laredo, and down to the border to Brownsville. That's the Southern District. The Eastern District is north of here through Texarkana and the sweep of East Texas. Western District is essentially San Antonio, Austin, all the way to Big Bend. Uh, the Northern District of Texas is Dallas, Fort Worth, and parts north of there. So that gives you a, a geographic breakdown of the various districts. And what we're talking about is for federal court, because if you don't know, federal court is the exclusive jurisdiction for federal, or excuse me, for patent litigation. Trade secret can either be in federal court or state court. But when we talk about patents in particular uh, and other forms of intellectual property, we're talking federal court. So most of these filings are actually in the Western District of Texas. Uh, again, which primarily encompasses San Antonio, Austin, uh, and points to the West. Uh, but the reality is, is most of those cases are actually filed in Waco, the Waco division of the Western District of Texas. And we're going to talk about why. Uh, you may have heard in the past for the last 15, 20 years that the Eastern District of Texas um, was sort of the epicenter of patent litigation, even more so than the Northern District of California, where Silicon Valley is based. And uh, there was a reason for that. Uh, judge Ward, the head judge at the time, he basically did three, three things. He had efficient patent rules that moved cases quickly. He got you set for trial and put you to trial quickly. And he and the other judges in the district uh, were very experienced in working with patent cases, how they're interpreted, and, and how to move these rules along. And it was very successful. Uh, in 2017, the United States Supreme Court came out with a decision called TC Heartland. And that was following some other Supreme Court uh, uh, precedent about talking about venue and jurisdiction. Where can you file suit against defendants? And in particular, the TC Heartland case, echoing this Daimler case from the Supreme Court, said you need to file these patent infringement cases either in the state or the area where the company is located, the defendant, or where their principal place of business is. And as a result of that, almost immediately after TC Heartland, cases spiked in Delaware because so many companies are incorporated in Delaware and filings dropped in the Eastern District of Texas. And the idea was just because Microsoft sells a, a piece of software at a Walmart, you can't sue them in Marshall, Texas anymore. You need to go where Microsoft is based. And this was sort of a defensive uh, reaction to uh, uh, that decision. Um, another factor to consider, and, and folks with experience uh, with patents will understand this on the call, in uh, 2013, Congress passed and uh, President Obama then signed into law the America Invents Act, the AIA. And one of the several things that it did was it instituted a process called an IPR, an inter partes review. And what that is, is a quasi-judicial administrative uh, proceeding in which uh, defendants, people who are accused, 
of infringing patents can challenge a patent's validity based on specific prior art. In this case, mostly we're talking about prior patents, patents that were issued beforehand or publications that were publicly available, generally speaking. And uh, one of the things about this was it was originally touted as a patent reform act. And what it really did, the AIA with this IPR process was drive down uh, patents. There was a concern that there were too many patents being issued. And so this process, uh, was it ever effective? I have some raw numbers on this. It's pretty amazing. Um, of the petitions filed uh, in year uh, 2020, 55% were instituted. In other words, three administrative law judges says there's enough here to move forward and I question the validity. Uh, that was down eight, from 87% in 2013. So the year that the AIA passed the IPR process, 87% of patents that were being challenged were being instituted against, meaning they were gonna take a closer look. And then what ended up happening was something like 62%, more than 60% of challenged patent claims were being rendered invalid. What does that mean? That means that if you're a patent holder that's asserting your rights out to the public and, a, and the accused infringer says, uh, I don't like this, I'm gonna go through this process, there's a chance, a high likelihood that your patent is going to be invalidated and it's gonna be rendered useless. It's gonna be a piece of paper you can hang on the wall. Uh, companies spend a lot of time and money, as you can imagine, through research and development to uh, develop patents. And there's lots of reasons why companies want to pursue patents. Uh, one, it could be to monetize that process. And there's different ways to do that. You can license, you can charge royalties, you can pursue people in litigation who are infringing it without your permission. Um, companies do it all the time when they buy and sell. If they have intellectual property, they value it. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of accountants and consultants that go out and value this intellectual property for you. And so it could be the case that some, proper, uh, some companies are just nothing but intellectual property or a lot of intellectual property. And if they're protected by patents and they go out and assert themselves and say, hey, you company B, you're infringing my patent. And the other guy says, I don't think that's valid. I'm gonna challenge it. And that party is more than 60% likely of busting your patent and rendering it invalid. It could kill you in the market. That's the concern here. And so what, it, what did it do? <laughs> patent filings dropped like a rock in, in the wake of this. Um, companies were saying, instead of patenting these things, making them public, even though I have the exclusive right to exclude you through these patents, um, uh, people were saying, I'm going to guard this like a trade secret. I'm going to treat this like the formula for Coca-Cola, and I'm not going to patent it and make it public. I'm going to keep it private and keep it to myself. And that's going to be my competitive edge because you can't go and then challenge and bust my intellectual property. And the idea is that as these IPR started to get filed with pending pieces of litigation or maybe a lawsuit we could file, and in reaction, there's rules on this that are particularized. You have to institute the IPR, uh, file the process at some point. Companies were saying, I'm not even going to assert my patents anymore. So they have patents and they're hesitating to assert them in litigation uh, or even write a demand letter saying, we think you need a license because um, uh, of a risk of an IPR. So patent filings dropped, trade secret strategies increased, and as a result, patent litigation dropped. People were not filing as many lawsuits. And it was, it's very noticeable if you compare basically 16, 17, 18. So what happened? In 18, things started to turn around. Uh, in particular, a judge named Alan Albright assumed the bench in Waco in division. He had been a private practitioner at Braceville for a while, and then he was a magistrate for a long period of time. Uh, just to give you a context of, of how hot Waco is, 
through the end of November 2020, 791 cases have been filed in the Western District of Texas Waco Division, 791 cases out of 4,000. In the past 10 years, uh, I'm sorry, since 1984, before 2018, only 10 patent cases have been filed in Waco. Let me say that again. Since 1984, when that division was created, 10 patent cases have been filed through 2018. In 2018, 90 cases were filed. 2019, 278 cases were filed. And then now, fully, right now, of all new patent cases, 20% of them nationwide are filed in Waco. But these lawsuits are filed in Waco in front of Judge Albright. And why is that? It's the same reasons uh, from the old Eastern District of Texas lessons. Predictability and practicality. So as a company, if you're either asserting patents or you're defending against uh, patent infringement accusations, you're gonna have quick deadlines. Uh, there's a, uh, a phrase that people talk about, a rocket docket. And uh, there used to be different rocket dockets. There was the Eastern District, even the, the Eastern District of Virginia outside of Washington, DC was known as a rocket docket because you could get to trial quickly, around a year to 18 months from filing. <clears throat> it's the same here. You have a targeted Markman hearing. So a Markman hearing is the, is the hearing at which you, parties have briefing ahead of time and go argue over what claim terms mean. And it's a claim construction. It's this term means this instead of that. Neither side, no, I disagree. And the court has to make a decision. Uh, Judge Albright, as so many judges these days, really limits how many claim construction terms uh, you can have. Uh, and what it does is it front end loads a case. It forces people to take a case quickly and understand it, understand what you've asserted, and understand how you're gonna defend it instead of letting things string out. What does that do? It saves companies money. It allows you to stick better to uh, estimated litigation budgets. It reduces gamesmanship. It reduces uh, fishing expeditions. Uh, if I get uh, sued for, my company gets uh, sued for uh, patent uh, uh, infringement, uh, those cases used to go for three, four, five years. And I'm just gonna go take some depositions in uh, Norway as I did back in 2010 and 2011. I can go take some depositions in London. I can go take some depositions in Australia, wherever it might be. And um, what these new rules that are sort of very intended to be efficient and economic is gonna streamline all of this. So uh, also in the news, the Western District has been quick to get people to trial. In fact, uh, let's not count out the Eastern District of Texas. Judge Rodney Gilstrap, uh, there in the Eastern District of Texas, he pressed for what is believed to be the earliest known jury trial during COVID. In August of 2020, they went forward with a patent trial for seven days, and it was Panoptis versus, and some other companies versus Apple. It was a seven-day trial, and it resulted in a $506 million judgment for willful infringement against uh, Apple related to 4G LTE technology. Um, they put all of these safety protocols in place for COVID. Everybody was getting tested. They had PPE and masks and face shields and the whole bit. There was plexiglass up around the witness stand and around the judge's bench and all the things we used to do in court, you couldn't do anymore. And so everybody had a microphone and uh, it really altered uh, the way that you're trying cases, but people are having to essentially uh, get with the new normal. Um, uh, there was even a case in the Eastern District, I believe, that was mistried due to COVID when a juror ended up getting sick during the midst of it. Um, but my point back to the Western District is that uh, about a few weeks ago, uh, another huge verdict came out. $2 billion, $2 billion with a B, uh, was found against Intel. And uh, there's other trials being set to move forward. The Austin courthouse is still closed due to COVID. Everything's being done virtually, just like this. 
Southern District of Texas here in Houston, Houston Division is still largely closed and everything's being done like this. In Waco, in the Eastern District, they're trying cases in front of juries and it is leading the nation. Harris County is trying cases uh, on the state side, uh, both criminally and civilly, some by the bench, some to the jury. Uh, we have some cases in the Western District of Texas. We have a relatively new partner, Eric Robinson, who joined us in January of this year, and he's got several cases pending there. <clears throat> I would encourage you to check out his aptly named blog, www.wacopatentblog.com. That's wacopatentblog.com. I'll put that uh, in there. So we are getting nationwide attention in Texas for IP litigation. People from all over the country, all over the world are looking at Texas, looking at Waco, looking at the Southern District of Texas as a way to try patent cases. Um, again, you know, yes. So, so as we're kind of closing- Invite any questions. Yeah, no, just if we're closing this off of a small business owner, um, summarize why this matters to me. I, I can see the trend. And I've got a feeling for what you said, but if you had to button it up for, for me, why is this good for me? I think that if you own IP, you want to be able to protect it and you want to be able to monetize it. And sometimes that means uh, sue people uh, to stop them from doing that, uh, from taking it, stealing their technology or using their technology without authority. If you are being accused of infringement, you want a place that's going to move quickly that's gonna to get to brass tacks. And if you feel like you don't infringe, somebody that's technically gonna be listening to you seriously. It's, I would not say that the Western District or even the Eastern District anymore are necessarily plaintiff friendly or defense friendly. We're not there yet uh, by way of that. It's not biased, but it's moving quickly. That's in everybody's best interest to get a decision and move forward. And that provides practical certainty and it saves money. So if I'm a business owner, um, look, as a litigator, people, I understand I'm not the most popular phone call that people make. It's usually bad news when I get a ring, right? Yeah. Uh, having said that, we want to deal with this in as quickly and efficiently and as inexpensively a way as we can. And, and that's what we do as a firm. That's what I've been doing for almost 24 years, 20 of which at this firm. Now that makes sense to me. I appreciate that. So shall we go ahead and launch uh, the questions? Absolutely. Let's see the poll. And uh, let's see the poll out there, guys. If you're looking at this, uh, you heard what Ray have said. Feel free to, to drop any questions into the, uh, the chat that you might have. If you're like me, I'm not uh, an insider on uh, you know, IP litigation. I have basic concerns, like I you know, have trademark and I have some things that we've done to protect ourselves that, uh, from the experts. You may have the same or know somebody that does. That's a good chance. Uh, to go ahead and, uh, you know, bring up your question for Ray right now, if you have any. I'm not answering this poll because I don't want to pollute the outcome of the votes. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. So we'll, uh, we'll walk through this real quick. And then um, uh, I guess I'd say, uh, to me, it also <coughs> like uh, one of the advantages that I have is that uh, it will it'll take less time. Uh, the smaller guy has a better opportunity in this environment right, in the US federal courts, which happen to be accelerating through our, our friend out in uh, uh, Waco, right? In this district. Okay, let's see. We've got about 40% of people coming in. Um, Ray, talk to us a little bit about uh, 
we talked about patents. Uh, if you or your company own intellectual property, what's your primary concern? And I can see this is coming in. You'll see it in just a second. I've got about 50%, but it looks pretty even. Uh, lack of monetization is right up there in that question, uh, but it's uh, pretty much uh, straight across. So go ahead, folks, go ahead and finish the, uh, the poll and we'll, we'll publish it and uh, kind of walk through this to the Q&A. Anybody, if you have questions, feel free to drop it in the chat. Uh, we'll- Absolutely. Uh, um, let's see here. Okay, I've got about 70% of the poll here. A couple more seconds. Uh, let's see here. There you go. So, you know, legal expense, of course, right? People are concerned about that. Can everybody see that? Can you see the poll results? Absolutely. There? Yeah. Very interesting. But it's All pretty, right. Yeah. Is it surprising any of this to you? None of it, but, uh, you know, uh, when we get to the give thing, I've, I've got a uh, give portion. I, I've got some things to say. So I'm, gl I'm glad to see this confirmed and I appreciate everyone's input on this. Right, okay. And if, there, if somebody has marked something else, feel free to put it in the chat. I'd love to hear what that is. Yeah, exactly. So, so and it might be something unique to you. And if you want to talk offline, we can do that as well. Yeah. You might not want to air it to the group. That's fair. Yeah, that's, that's the, the way it goes. So let's go ahead and um, let's move on to every show we have with our guest expert. We have an ask and give. So, you know, you're of the audience, Ray, what, you know, what would you like from them in particular? So I think that, well, let me get, let me do my gift first. And, sure. and, and what I want to do is I want to address these concerns. If you're on the plaintiff side and you're concerned about uh, lack of monetization, uh, we can help you with that. I think we've, we've got a prior talk that we gave and a, and a pretty robust PowerPoint. Uh, I'm going to work with Ashraf John to get that posted in the Slack channel uh, okay. or through your website that talks about some monetization strategies. Uh, and those are things that we can sit down and speak with you about in particular. Uh, and there's other people that consultants and things like this, that's their full time job. Um, the legal expense is interesting as it relates to patent litigation. If you own patents, um, very often uh, uh, like an individual shade tree inventor, for example, or a car mechanic inventor can't afford a large law firm. And so they would do things on a contingency fee basis. Uh, if, if you win, they win sort of thing. Um, there are a lot of players now in litigation finance. If you're not familiar with it, there are companies as a business model that go out and fund lawsuits on the plaintiff side. And there are a lot of players out there. Uh, there are a handful of really good ones. We have relationships with all of the really good ones. Some of our cases are funded. Some of our cases historically have been on a contingency fee basis. Uh, most of our cases are on an hourly basis, as you can imagine, hourly rate basis. But if your concern is legal expense, there's legal, uh, there is litigation funding that's available to you. And uh, you should know about that. Um, there's different ways to monetize. Uh, and, and, and there are also concerns, I think, about um, along the way from a, a putting your money at risk in, when it comes to litigation about IPRs, and we have experience with that as well. Uh, I think that uh, 
finance is an avenue that uh, clients and companies should be investigating. Just so you know, there are also companies that do the reverse. It's essentially uh, companies like RPX, which is publicly traded. They, they essentially do the reverse, which is you subscribe and you get access to essentially a license to a patent portfolio. And they're acquiring patents all the time. So if you get sued in a space as like patent insurance, they will defend you. You pay a premium and they will defend you. That's a much hotter topic than it is in Europe than it is in the United States. It's really sort of failed for whatever reason to gain traction in the United States. But we've got relationships there with patent insurance companies, with other types of companies that do that. And so uh, something to think about. I think that's your give is, hey, give us a call. And uh, if you're running into IP questions, the right way to address them. I think you're saying you're willing to, to spend a few minutes over the phone to help. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Let me also give one sp specific metric. Sure. The uh, American uh, Intellectual Property Lawyers Association submits uh, surveys uh, every so often, and it's pretty well established no matter where you are, no matter what the subject, uh, a patent case is going to cost you likely over a million dollars. To go to trial, it could be three, four, five million, six million dollars. Not kidding, as a plaintiff to assert that. Litigation finance can help that. On the defense side, if you're thinking about asserting an IPR, an IPR process, that administrative process in Washington, D.C., in front of three administrative law judges, takes about a year to a year and a half can cost about two hundred and fifty to three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So and that's sort of commoditized now. That's sort of the market. If you get accused for a patent infringement, there's a much cheaper, faster way uh, to get out of that, you know, unless you're in Waco and then you'll have to have a more clever argument in front of Judge Albright. Well, well let's come back to that when we go back to the group. Discussion. Certainly. So thank you for that. And uh, wanted to tell you that today's show is brought to you by our underwriters. Interpoint, protecting what you care about most, people, profits, brand, and environment. Unique Ventures, the energy hybrid technology accelerator with a unique approach to the capital. Order Hedges, attorneys at law, the informed choice for complicated litigation in the energy business. And Alliance Benefit Group, building retirement plans for your business that work. So let's go ahead and move on to the group networking session. This is where you talk about your business so we can meet each other and learn from each other. Just as a reminder, when it's your turn, hey, just briefly introduce yourself, yeah, a little bit about your business when you give your take. Also, are you more comfortable dropping comments into the chat? Go for that. Uh, that's, that's great too. Anyway, uh, and everybody, put your, unless you're speaking, put your, uh, put yourself on mute. That's probably you shuffling your papers there, Ray. I think you're- Yeah, sorry about that. Good culprit. But uh, we sent out some questions to the group, and I know we changed times, but, uh, but here we are. Uh, the first question that we put out there was, you know, what keeps you up at night related to your intellectual property, right? Does anybody in the group, would you like to share? And I see something from Joe. He's like, hey, I'm a senior manufacturing executive. I create high-performance teams in conjunction with lean root cause problem solving and data analysis tools to help manufacturing intensive companies run more efficient profits. And he's just saying he's willing to connect. But do you, Joe, or anyone else uh, have issues around intellectual property that you'd like to, to bring forward? I guess I, I'm in the middle, John, I'm in the middle of a uh, applying for a patent right now. And uh, some of the concerns is just, you know, the scope of the patent. And then, you know, this concern that Ray brought up about 
the IPRs and, and you know, invalidating the patent right out of the bat. So I, that's really my interest here in the conversation. And I'd like to hear more on, you know, on that topic. Can you, can you be more specific? I, I, I know exactly what he's talking about. And, and I think, and, and let me tell you if this is uh, responsive, 30 seconds. There is an age old tension in patents that you want to patent something that's specific enough to cover what you're doing, but broad enough to capture to keep other people out. And that's that differentiation, right? And so exactly. you want to, and then, so what you do is you have specifically what you're doing and then you want to step out a step like in concentric circles and say, now I want to cover this. Every time you step out of circle, you expose yourself to doing what others before you have done already. And that's called prior art. And that, that could invalidate your patent. So you could get something through that's very novel and non-obvious and different from the market and from the prior art space. But then does that really differentiate yourself uh, from what other people are doing? Because they could tweak it to the left or to the right, do something a little different, and then they fall outside your scope. So people want broad claims. But when you have broad claims, you expose yourself to invalidity challenges. And so trust me, it's it's an old tension, Joe, unfortunately. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, we're, we're going after a specific application. I think it is novel in that application but there could be some broader applications. And so how do you keep go after both? And Absolutely. Then after both, exactly what you said. Thank press, you. Press your, press your prosecution lawyer to think outside the box and in the spec, in the specification, get creative and give some other examples. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. So great question. Other questions we have, and, you know, obviously it's a small group, so uh, we can take them as they come. What, uh, how are you using IP in your business today, offensively or defensively? And uh, what have you learned recently uh, with your IP that you can share with others? And Joe just told us where he is on that. Uh, Catherine, I can't remember, aren't you doing something in this area or am I mistaken? I forgot. Uh Yes and no. Um, so I work for Notre Dame, uh, the tech transfer office there. The tech transfer offices at university are now um, having catchier names than just tech transfer office. So our catchy name is now the idea center. Um, so that's technically where I work. But so I file patent applications all the time. We have not yet um, gotten into an infringement lawsuit for any of them, uh, knock on wood. So Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not too experienced in that regard, um, thankfully, but, uh, but yeah, certainly on the prosecution side of actually getting the issue patent, um, I deal with that every day. Sure. Catherine, I'll just throw out there, uh, my team and I here at Porter Hedges, we handled the first contingency fee lawsuit and made, I believe only contingency fee lawsuit for Texas A&M's office of, uh, technology commercialization back in 2008 against uh, GE Plastics and Sabic and settled that in the Eastern District. It's a very interesting case. So we've got some experience dealing with uh, tech transfers and commercialization offices. Great, great, great work that's being done in universities. Interesting. Uh, Edmund, what about you? You see different companies. Uh, and of course, sometimes intellectual property is a part of the thing they're worried about as they're trying to grow their businesses here. I mean, what uh, Oh, on my end, I see two things, right? Um, I cover the investment side of it. So I, I, I help uh, Houston-based companies to look at opportunities in Canada. So one of the 
first thing that I, I advise them is to have a really strong IP protection on any of their technology when you're going to Canada um, and vice versa. Uh, when companies come from Canada to Houston, especially currently because of the ESG com, um, uh, growth in, in Houston, we see a lot of Canadian companies coming down to Houston and, and providing their technology and services over here. And the first question we ask is your IP protected? And uh, if not, we would, we would engage with, uh, uh, with a lawyer or with a consultant to give them good advice, making sure that their IP is protected before they even start uh, marketing or meeting with clients and those kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that we are looking, we are seeing is uh, the startup companies. They are really bootstrapped. Uh, they are um, they finding it uh, challenging in, in, in coming into uh, this kind of environment, especially over here, where in America, it's, it's, it's a litigative uh, uh, environment. So uh, it's, it's a cost um, and they are kind of, it's best sometimes I, I leave this for them to decide how they want to spend that money when they're looking at markets. So that's, that's about it. I would say just one thing on trade secrets, trade secrets that cat has to stay in the bag. <laughs> it, once you once you let it out, it's no longer a trade secret. And a lot of people don't realize that. And to your point, Edmund, about uh, startups being much more savvy and bootstrapping these things, they do that on the front end. They protect everything through NDAs or confidentiality agreements, right? And yeah. and you really, you really have to con concern yourself with who are you talking to and how are you publicly sharing this? Because you really shouldn't be until you get your application. And you're absolutely right. You need to be filed. If you're a Canadian company, you need to be filed in the U.S. And conversely, if you're in the U.S. and you intend to be in Canada, you need to file there. Exactly. Two separate sovereign systems. Uh, any other questions from the group? Um, Alan, I know that you're doing some work, I believe, with HBO. Uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly how, uh, uh, if you see this kind of thing or these issues, if you're there, I can't see you, but I can see that you're on the line. Or Sue, what about yourself and your business? How, how does this uh, pertain uh, in your business? Or Rohan, are you there, Rohan? Uh, working with Google, uh, you know, on, on the account representative side. I mean, how are you guys thinking in this? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, joined uh, kind of, I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm more of like a third party kind of witnessing this as a, as a concern for enterprises. Uh, I, I work for Google Cloud um, in sales. So as you can imagine, a company like Google, a lot of people are concerned, hey, what do we do with your data? A lot, there's a lot of, you know, some of our products definitely compete. A lot of people that we partner with are also our competitors. You know, we have products like Nest, uh, we also work with energy and uh, thermostat manufacturers um, at the same time. So it's kind of interesting to understand, you know, what what these what the thought process and what the challenges go from a you know a legal perspective. So definitely definitely glad to have tuned in today. Yeah, well, that's cool. And um, Michael, I know that uh, you're relatively new to the business. Uh, but um, uh, I know that uh, your firm, as a CPA firm, also works closely with different businesses. And, and Ray, I know you guys also work closely with CPAs. So 
I don't know if you had anything uh, there, either one of you that would talk about that uh, partnering relationship, how it pertains to uh, intellectual property and that sort of thing. Uh, from, I guess from our, our standpoint here, we've actually uh, got a confidential agreement with our employees to, uh, to not share obviously client data, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. Uh, if, if they, if they leave the firm, then they agree not to, to steal our client, so to speak, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, other than that, I, I'm not aware of any other uh, things such as that to do with IP. But uh, So I would add to that what you just described. Uh, that's all classic stuff. That's Laura's sandbox. I've had some experience in that. What you want to be thinking about as a business, in addition to customer lists, is mm-hmm. that's a trade secret. That falls under the statutory definition of a trade secret. Do you have proprietary processes that belong just to you on how you handle things internally? And if you do, you should uh, protect those as well. Uh, there's a layer of protection in your agreements that you could potentially layer to that to say, this is my company's trade secret. It's not just the customer list. It's also how you, it could be a process. Uh, uh, it could be any type of thing. Some of those things can't be patented because they're business patents, right. um, but but they can be trade secrets. And so um, how you, how you set up a, a process, how you, uh, uh, analyze something sort of contents. Like if you've got spreadsheets with formulas, very often, sometimes those are regarded as trade secrets and they need to be password protected. They need to be, uh, locked down. You need to be tracking who's accessing them and, and all those sorts of things. There's lots of security measures. In other words, um, you can't have a trade secret that's sitting on the counter for everybody to see who walks in. (laughs) Right. Okay. All right. Makes sense. I appreciate that. You bet. Uh, unless somebody has anything else to say, I think that'll be the last word in the networking session today. Sure. Good how, stuff. How was it? So let's keep an eye out, folks, for the post-show notes that come in the email later today. And please take 30 seconds to get your copy of today's attendee contact list. You'll also find links to the FT videos and podcasts from previous shows. So, well, FT belongs to you. It's your community and networking platform. Don't forget to follow up and connect the dots after the meeting, that's important. If you had a good experience today, share it. Build the community with others that you wanna network with. Forward the newsletter, invite your connections on our LinkedIn events. We're out of time, so be sure to join us for our next events. And one week from today, we've got a 45 minute conversation with Dr. Andreas Mazakos. During his, he's gonna discuss his journey and insights and his resources on making the energy transition for a homeowner that's becoming an electrical power prosumer, disconnecting from the grid uh, and being able to manage through disasters and and embracing green transportation. So that's uh, next Tuesday, hope you can join us. You can sign up right now on fte.network, invite your friends. So now it's bonus time. Hey, if you'd like another eh, about 15 minutes or so with our SME team, Uh, Just accept the bonus room invitation that's being sent out by Gus right now on your screen. Uh, And again, thanks, Ray, very much, and Ashraf and the entire Porter Hedges crew. And for all of you for making FTE Tuesday the smartest 45 minutes in your day. So take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time.